Hello, this is Chris O'Regan, and you're listening to The Sausage Factory. This is episode 291 of the Sausage Factory. Welcome. Yeah, it's a bit of a number, isn't it? 291. Anyway, what are we talking about in this episode? Well, in this episode, I chat to Ryan Granville of Sunnyside Games about their arcade adventure game, Tarragon Among Shadows. That's the best description I can come up with. It. It's not really that. It's more arcade. It's really really good game really quite complex yet simple to play there's depth here a lot but um yeah really enjoyed my chat with ryan and i'm sure you will too so here i am from six weeks ago chatting to ryan about tarraga among shadows so please chris from the past take it away ryan who are you and what do you do so I am a producer at Sunnyside Games, a Swiss-based studio in, uh, in Switzerland, maker of the Waga, of course. Um, and so as a producer, I've been working at Sunnyside for something like two years now, uh, helping the team to manage projects, business development, and this kind of this kind of exciting stuff, at least, at least for me. <laughs> Has to be done. Someone's got a point at milestones and can say, see? Have you, have you done this yet? <laughs> but no. Yeah, which is most of my job. No, I'm just kidding. But uh, yeah, absolutely. That's the gist of it. Yeah, yeah. It's like, have we spent resources to do this? Yes. Are you sure? Possibly not. I don't know. <laughs> was that a reasonable milestone? I don't know. But okay. Uh, so two years there. Not long. But uh, you, what you've, uh, with, with, with Tarago Among Shadows, what, what, what a game, everyone. We we delve into this one. It's it's great. But before we do, we gotta to get to find out a little bit more about Ryan and his producing ways. So how did you make your start making video games? Yeah, so that's a it's a good question because I actually don't come from the video game industry from uh, from the start. I started working as a management consultant. So doing uh, any kind of stuff for, for, for big corporations. Uh, and at some point, I fell into gamification and serious gaming, which I thought was a very, very interesting field uh, and had a lot of potential for, for a lot of stuff in, uh, in companies, trying to make boring stuff a little bit less boring, uh, I guess. And uh, little by little, I thought about maybe transitioning to, to fully game developing. Uh, I got in touch with those guys here in, in Lausanne at Sunnyside Games, who were looking for a for a business person to come and uh, and help them on their on their projects. Little by little, I just you know got part of the team. Now I'm uh, an associate of the company. I own a, a, a little slice of it, and, uh, and as such, I am really happy to uh, to have been doing this two years adventure uh, with them. That's a mate. That's not usual for uh, most guests have a, a lot of them come from the film industry or the animation industry. Recently, we've had a lot of guests that come on and come across from there, but not from business management. So, and it's, I mean, does it sort of tap into creative side? It's an obvious statement to make, but have you found that? Is that one of the reasons that drew you to it? Yeah, so it's true that most of my peers come from more uh, creative fields often uh, or already have experience in the creative fields or have even started in video games from uh, from the start. So the thing I think which is important to consider is that producer is still nowadays pretty vague term. Uh, everyone knows the producer does uh, you know, like uh, planification and you know, 
like project management. But a producer tends to do very different things depending on in which studio he is, in which team he is. And so, first of all, I would say that my profile is very much more business oriented than the average. So I do a lot of business development, a lot of high level management and, and scheduling and client management, this kind of stuff, uh, than other my peers might do. And I'm able to um, put a lot of this creative stuff rather on our creative director, Gabriel uh, Sonderreger, uh, who works with me to make sure that you know, like I do the, the, the business stuff and he's like fully responsible for the, the creative stuff. So we have kind of this uh, you know, like duality, which is not uncommon the video game industry, but uh, but it's very very visible in our in our company the way we work, and we saw we saw different uh, in our different uh, profiles. And maybe to get back to your 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 to answer better your original question about why uh, uh, what attracted me to the video game industry, I think to put it simple simply, I I've been playing games from a very young age. I've always been attracted to this, and uh, so I've always been thinking about maybe, you know, sometime getting in, getting into the video game industry. And so when the occasion kind of presented itself, I was very, very happy to uh, to leverage this and, and get into, uh, into video games. That's fascinating because you spent your formative years training for a certain skill and a certain thing you do, and you did it well, and you spent a lot of time doing it, and then went, you know what? This is this this environment's fine, but what about if I went to a more creative endeavor and something I have a passion about and a love for? And, and lo, here you are. So it's really quite inspirational stuff, really, to, to know that you know just because you're you didn't go off and do you know programming and stuff doesn't mean, and you know actual game design degree does not mean that you can't enter the industry. Uh, you can change careers. You can change tack. Or indeed bring the skills that you developed for the other field, thinking it's not relevant, and actually realize it is relevant. So Yeah. Well, there's one thing which I always see about project management is that I could actually be working in an aerospace company or you know, like, uh, in, uh, any kind of uh, other companies. In the end, the processes are actually very similar. So it's pretty easy when you are a project manager to transition from one industry to another and still do kind of the same jobs. There, there's still a lot of stuff you need to adapt, of course, but it stays a little similar, I would say. Yeah. I mean, we were joking earlier in the virtual green room about the need to follow Gantt charts and then realize, wait, did you really think you could do that in three days? Why are we still on it? It's three months. It's like, you know, it's just understanding the effort required and the reasonable effort required to do each task and then produce something of a program that's actually reasonable and not one that's uh, you know, a design program that's just not tenable. And, it's, and then, then once you do that and everyone agrees to it and buys into it, you then have to, just, I say just, not just, you then have to monitor yeah. it and manage it and then constantly sort of saying, you said two weeks ago that you still could do this. Is that true? And if it's not, don't chastise them for saying it's not. It's, it's okay. What were the what were the you know dependables dependence that meant that you couldn't do this? What happened? And then you learn from that and you move on. And it's just and then you manipulate the program again. And then you that's how you manage people. It's this. It's not just managing progress. It's not. It's project management is more of a people thing than it is people realize. Anyway, but uh, yeah. So. My next question is a bit of a nebulous one, and many listeners will know I do use that word describing this question. But I have to ask it, because you are a creator of things. Uh, Sunnyside Games make stuff. So in order to make stuff, typically you have influences. So what do you believe is your biggest or are your biggest influences? So do you mean as a as a person, or do you mean for the for the actual game? No, I actually mean something more uh, esoteric than that, or broader than that. So Sunnyside Games, you make games, you make things, and you can ask it as your personal sort of uh, input, or indeed representing Sunnyside Games. It's entirely up to you, but you are a creative entity. 
and yeah. creative creators are influenced by things. What do you believe those things are for you? Yeah, okay. So um, as we are all gamers here at Sunnyside, we, we all have very strong influences of what we like. Uh, and I think what we try to do at the beginning of a project is to understand, okay, what is the kind of influences that we want to put forward in this next game? Uh, because we are not always able to take all of them at the same time, right? Otherwise, it might be a little bit of a Frankenstein game. So I would say that generally as a personal you know, point of view, I'm a big fan of uh, very story-driven games and, and, and games which uh, really enables you to understand the universe in which you are you are being uh, brought in. And I think this comes from the fact that I've been reading a lot from a very long age at the same time as I was playing playing games. And so I really like to understand where I am, what am I doing, why I'm doing what I am doing. Um, and this is also the case for my associates. So the creative director, Gabriel, who is actually uh, more the one who will put his influences in the game, also likes story-driven games a lot. Uh, and I think this is also one of the reasons why we, we work so well together, because we have uh, on many different uh, levels similar influences. So uh, this story-driven influences, for instance, uh, pushed us to, even though this type of games, uh, Towaga, the last game we, we made, this type of game games often don't have so much of a story inside of them because they're more about maybe about scoring or you know like a very precise game design and, and this kind of stuff very twitchy twitchy games but often not with a lot of backstory we still wanted to do this in the game so for the players who are interested in this kind of stuff they'll be able to go you know like unlock uh, additional uh, story pieces and notes about uh, why is the character doing what is it doing and and all this kind of stuff, which has, which are facultative for the game, you don't really have to do it. But still, we wanted for those players who like us enjoy this uh, this kind of stuff to to have access to it. So that would, I guess, be kind of a good example of influence we 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 have in our games. And we try to we try to put forward. It's a great answer. No, it's a great answer for that. It's a difficult one to answer. I grant you, and you probably never thought about it. Maybe you have, I don't know. But, yeah, it's just... Giving the player a sense of space, of place, sorry, and purpose. What's so hard about that? Why not? Is that, you know, rather than just arbitrary or not providing any guidance at all, but actually saying, no, there, there's a purpose to what you're doing. There's an end goal. There's a benefit to the reason why you're doing it. And you know you can do that. Why shouldn't you? Um, and it's, there's 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 space and latitude, if you like, uh, now to provide that information. Whereas back in the day, in the early uh, sort of like early parts of the video game, uh, when it was just starting out, um, did didn't really exist. It was just well, here's a little man or here's a little spaceship go blow things up. Why? I'll just do it. <laughs> Whereas now, yeah, it's good. Good. Next question, uh, and this one's a little bit of a toughie as well. But uh, you can ask this. Uh, this is very much a personal thing, um, not as regards to personal, personal, but your personal opinion. What developer do you most admire in the industry, and why? Oh yeah, that's a tough one. Um, uh, so, I mean, I have a. Uh my history of playing games and so I have those you know, like the big developers of those huge games I've enjoyed my whole life which of course I, I, I like a lot but since I've been working in the video game industry I've kind of have a different eye for it you know I've kind of started thinking about okay it's not just about the fact that I enjoyed their game a lot when I was younger or still right now uh, it's also about how did they actually build this game how did they uh, work with their teams. How did they, you know, like uh, put it forward, market it? What are their financial uh, strategies? All this kind of stuff. So it's hard to say what is the studio that I would uh, I would say I like a lot. But I have different studios. I think are really good at different things, right? So 
for instance, uh, there's one studio which I've enjoyed my whole life. It's Blizzard, uh, because I've been a big player of Warcraft and World of Warcraft after that, and even you know, like Starcraft and Overwatch today. Uh, and so I enjoy all their games, and I love it because I think they are able consistently to give this epic experience that they, they, they say is their kind of motto uh, throughout all of their games. And this consistency is, I think, really, really impressive. And uh, I think Blizzard is incredible for this kind of stuff. Um, and then looking at maybe more you know, like indie games, uh, it's also really interesting to see how other studios are organized and how they are able to still provide really good games by having a very humane way of producing it. And so there is a French studio which made a very, very uh, uh, famous game a couple of years ago, which you, you might you might already know, Dead Cells. Uh, yes, it's French-Australian uh, outfit, wasn't it? Because it Australians also helping out with that, I think, did, did some of the artwork. But you're right, principally uh, a French um, the studio. You're, um, yes, what an amazing game. It's animation yeah. and the fluidity of movement. That's Incredible. what struck me when I first played that game. And then it's the difficulty curve. Where, oh, boy. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's crazy to see at the time that they were producing this game, you had all those other studios working in crunch mode and, you know, like saying, like, we need to work this way. We need to uh, overexert ourselves to make a qualitative product. And you had these guys who were there who were working a lot for sure, but who were working in a way where, you know, they all work the same amount of hours. They all have the same salary. They... They, they all had uh, kind of the same say in, the, in the, the development of the game, and they were still able to deliver this incredible game. And so I think this is really a source of inspiration at the time right now where there is a lot of questions about the way that the game industry is actually producing games. And to take those examples of there's another way that can be more beneficial for everyone, the gamers and the developers. I think it's really uh, very interesting. So I, I really like also this kind of studio right now, which maybe I thought about less before. Yeah, yeah. I think the myth of long hours equals hard work needs to end. Needs to end. Because it's not true. It's a myth. It's a, that's why it's a myth. You know, working long hours is not working hard. It's actually reducing your life expectancy by doing that. Stop it. Stop it. You know, it's not doing any good. It's actually doing you mental, physical harm. Stop it. Yeah, I fully agree. So this is one of the first things when I when I joined this, the, the studio a couple of years ago, which I was very clear about. Uh, we are going to implement a policy in the, in the culture, moreover, a culture in the company where we consider every phase where we miss a deadline or where we have to crunch or you know, like where we, we, we feel that we do need to overexert ourselves to meet, to actually meet a deadline and not miss any, uh, like an error in management. Like we did something wrong. We need to understand why we did that wrong and we need to make sure that it doesn't repeat itself. Uh, and so we actually managed to do it, in my opinion. I mean, there is always stuff you need to improve, but we haven't missed uh, any internal deadlines for, 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 for a very long time. And... Uh, we haven't been crunching for a very long time and we were still able to deliver the, the game at the level of quality that we wanted to deliver it. Yeah, and I think one of the sort of great sort of lessons one can learn is people say, oh, you learn from mistakes. And I said, well, that's true. We also learn from the successes. Don't forget that. We did that like this, yes? Okay, well, we do that again because that seems to work. See, I mean, it's just it's. And you're right. And there's something I've uh, called when I was when I've done project management and stuff. It's very much you know. There's there's. I call it inwardly. I don't call it outwardly, but inwardly I call it the idiot factor. Not that <laughs> not that I'm saying that people doing the work are idiots. No, it's just that people are people and they're error. They're, they're flawed, and they will get something wrong. Well, not sometimes it's not that. Sometimes they make an assumption that something will be done by a certain point, and that dependent will actually then latch on to the thing they're doing. Turns out it won't be done by that point because of reasons outside their control. And yeah, yeah. It's, it's, yeah. Um, so as a producer, it's actually my job to try to anticipate this kind of stuff. Although I'm not a developer nor a game designer or an artist, it's also my job to go and ask the stupid questions and uh, try to see that by asking those questions, I can raise issues that might be preventable or you know risks that we can... Uh, 
try to to uh, mitigate sooner than uh, than than later and by doing this we're able to avoid a lot of stuff i don't want to oversimplify the issue either because it's true that it's not only a, a question about did we plan enough time to do this it's also a matter sometimes of marketing uh, the, an industry which is changing at the same time as you're developing games since game takes such a long time to develop maybe one year in the project you uh, you had planned the feature which is not interesting anymore so you need to change it very fast and so there are there are factors which can come in and and add pressure on the team but i think that's if you are able to adapt a minimum and to anticipate those kind of stuff and risk a minimum in the in the, in the beginning then you are able to at least limit as much as you can the the, the risk of this uh those bad uh, those bad behavior because as you were saying before this has an impact on the team this has an impact on the quality uh, that they are able to deliver. If you've been if you've been working sixty hours per week for 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 a month, you're not going to be able to deliver the same level of quality that you you you, you can if you're working like like forty or forty five hours per week. Exactly. But like I said, there's a myth, and I don't know who perpetuated. I've got a pretty good idea that working hundred hours a week is okay because yeah. that's working hard. No, it isn't. No, it isn't. It's it's not working hard. Long hours does not. E- Never mind. <laughs> I'm not going to rant now because it's not appropriate time. But and also you said earlier to ask the stupid questions. They're not stupid questions. In fact, they're questions that probably never been asked before. You know, the obvious one being, how long is this going to take? It's not an accurate. You know, just so many different ways of asking that question without coming across as being ignorant or indeed a bully. So no, I, I need to know because I'm trying to protect your colleague and that person and that person and that contractor and that, you know, we need to know this now so I've got enough leading time to bring in whoever I need to bring in to finish this bit off. So I'm asking really nicely, how long is this going to take? And be honest with me and I'll just add 50% of it because of reasons outside your control, okay? <laughs> so that's fine. Cool. Yeah, that makes total sense. That being said, though, since we are a small studio, like in large studios, you, you usually have producers who are familiar with art, let's say. So the, the producer who is leading art has a very strong uh, idea of what his team is uh, is doing. Maybe he even comes himself from a uh, background yes, in, in that's quite art common. or he was yeah. working in the team. Uh, but as for myself, since I'm very much more business oriented, I often don't have a clue what they're doing. You know, like maybe I'm exaggerating a little bit, but uh, there's a lot of stuff which I don't know and is very basic for them. So. When I meant stupid question, of course, uh, I agree. I tend to say that there are no stupid questions, but there are things that are obvious, but a producer do needs to ask them just to make sure that if they're obvious, did we consider it? You know, like because you know, like we need to encourage this, encourage discussion between uh, artists, but also developers with artists, which might not always understand each other. So, yeah, yeah I fully agree with uh, with what you said in any case. So, last question of the first half. See you. Already. Yeah, you made it. Not See, told you. Not bad. Got a little bit of a mini boss halfway through, but you're fine. You'll be fine. Um, I have to ask this question because we're recording a podcast about video games. Therefore, I have to ask this. And it's also it's quite fun to ask this question. What are you playing right now, Ryan? So right now, the last game I've played was uh, League of Legends. Actually, because I have a, I'm since I've uh, I've aged a bit, let's say, uh, I found that I enjoy spending time on game with friends, and so typically League of Legends is not really a game I would go and play by myself, for many reasons. I guess one being the community playing League of Legends. It's a bit <laughs> but, toxic, isn't it? Let's face it. Go on. Yeah. Um, the the, the 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 social games though playing with friends is something that i enjoy a lot and league of legends with a group of five friends is really an awesome game to play in my opinion and so league of legends is one i've played uh, i've played really recently um and so another one which i've spent countless hours uh, a couple of weeks ago is uh frostpunk oh right so, uh, i need to get into this but yeah uh, it's incredible and yeah. i've Play the DLCs and everything. It's really, really a good game. It's so dark, though. You know, the actual balancing act of doing, making tough decisions all of the time, 
It's yeah. Uh, but yeah, I do need to get into that. It's a good game. Everyone is yeah. I do have it on my Steam. I probably bought it on a sale or something. I don't know. Um, but uh, yeah. But it's one of those games where you start playing and and you manage to kind of survive and kind of make it out to the, the first you know, like a uh, couple of days or weeks. But you're not really happy with your results and you just try again and. This kind of game that really gets you hooked in the, in the, the this perfect game design are really incredible. I I've played it really a lot of time. I recommend it fully. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, yeah. After I finish my upgrade my PC, I think I'll dive into it. It's probably a good <laughs> good idea. Uh, it probably won't ch- challenge it much as regards the power, but it doesn't matter. Uh, it sounds like a something I should get my teeth into. So yeah, good shout. Right. Well, that is the end of the first half of the show. Let's move on to the second half, where we delve deep into Tawaga Among Shadows. So Ryan, before I do delve into Tawaga Among Shadows, uh, I do have a question for you or a request. Can you tell us what it is? So Tawaga Among Shadows is an action twin stick shooter. Uh, the gist of it is that you play as uh, Shibu, uh, who has to uh, defend himself against waves of enemies attacking him and in order to do this you have those awesome magical powers you can use and defeat your your enemies uh, with it it's a 2d games which you will alternate between phases where you are defending a position a fixed position on top of a pyramid uh, and phases where you can actually fly around and uh, and defend yourself in a definite zone uh, against uh, monsters flying to to catch you. That's that's it, everyone. It's uh, and the 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 spell and the, you're a man, you're a person, and you one of your arms. I think it's your left or right. I can't remember. Um, one of your arms. You actually emit a beam of light, a powerful beam of spell, death, and destruction, which actually can be enhanced. We'll talk about that later. Uh, and. Uh, this you that's your main means of defense is attack of course by actually destroying these horrible little purple beasties well they start off as purple i'm not going to go into details uh these these creatures that are basically trying to assail you from a well this leads on to my first question because i really was quite taken by the idea that the player is under siege from the outset you are under Siege from all directions. Creatures are coming at you, appearing out of thin air, and then just charging at you with the intent of causing you harm. And the only means to stop them is by directing a beam of light, which with your your right your right trigger, uh, and that's that's what you do. And you direct this beam of light, and you're in a fixed position. I just want to ask, how did that come about? Why, why did you have it so in this? This situation where the player cannot move, everyone. You can't move. You're just the only thing you can do is direct a beam of light and cast some spells. These spells can do all sorts of weird and wonderful things. Won't go into details about what they can do. Or I can talk in detail one of the early ones you pick up, the freezing one. We'll talk about it later. But why the fixed position? I know why, but you tell me. Why did you go with that? Uh, so it's a good question, which actually has uh, a few answers. I think one of the the, the, the ones which uh, 
makes a lot of sense to people when I explain it is that uh, we wanted to give a sense of uh, frailty to the player. We really wanted the player to feel like he he's in danger because he cannot move, uh, but he still needs to defend himself. So then the player really has to focus on managing the time it takes to defeat all monsters, which will be coming from all sides, as you as you said, uh, in a timely manner. So you really have this, you really feel this pressure uh, when you're playing this game, and we wanted to make a really action and twitchy game. And so this is one of the ways that we found we could uh, we could do this, do this, and really have the player feel what we wanted them to feel. The amount of tension I get and relief when I actually complete a phase is palpable. It's just like, oh, that was close. Whew. I, was, I was in my last sliver of health. Oh, I did it. You know, it's just great because that's, I know what you're trying to achieve with it. You're trying to achieve yeah. that sense of relief of like, you can do this, you can do this, but you really have to focus. And I just love the fact that you take control away. You say, no, you can't move. Why would you move? How can you move? You're surrounded by creatures. What do you move? Where are you going? Where are you going to go? <laughs> so, you know, whereas there, there is actually nowhere to go. It's just like you on top of a pyramid and you're just doing everything you can to defend it and to basically remove the curse from it because that's what you're doing. It's a big deal. And uh, this leads on to my next question really was, uh, again, talk a little bit about the virtual green room we had. Uh, Ron and I, I was sort of opened, I sort of congratulated uh, uh, Sunnyside Games for making what is, to me, one of the purest video games I've ever played, which is Tower Girl Among Shadows. And the reason I say that is because one of the things it does is it requires the player to constantly make risk decisions. Constantly. You know, there are times when there's a situation where they have to assess where is the greatest threat coming from all of the time. Especially occurs when later on in the game when it gets really intense. And you know, you are going to get hit. You can't avoid that. It's unlikely to avoid it. So you just, well, well what am I least want, you know, what was the thing that I want to avoid taking me out or attacking me over something else that I don't mind nipping at my ankles but this thing's going to chew my face off. And it's constantly, you're making these decisions over and over again as you play each phase, which is why it's so, well, it's quite exhausting in a good way. Was this the basic premise of Tauriga uh, Among Shadows? Was was it built around this concept of risk assessment, for want of a better, less boring phrase? Yeah, absolutely. And so... Uh, we, we, we started discussing a little bit about this in the green room before because uh, this is really what we wanted player to feel like. So it was very satisfying to see that you understood this, you know, like you, you, you got what we were trying to do. Um, and this risk rewards uh, system we, we wanted player to feel comes from many things. So there's the fact that you cannot move. Uh, so uh, the fact that you cannot move really puts you in risk. But at the same time, the phases are very short. We try to put them short because then you have this this relief you talked about before. Like, okay, I've been playing for one minute. I'm very stressed. I did it. I'm relieved, and then I can go to the next phase. And you can quickly uh, go in those uh, those phases. And so the way we design the waves in order to come from different directions has been very meticulous. We 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 worked a lot on this months and months on end in order to for each wave to be custom made in order to give the sense of as you said before, where is the threat coming from uh, at each moment? Uh, and always make sure that the player needs to do this calculation about where do I need to shoot right now? Where do I need to focus my uh, my beam, my spell? Uh, and maybe if you die a couple of times in this uh, in this phase, maybe what spell do I need to take here to actually fight the, the, the risks that I have in, this, uh, in these phases? Because we haven't talked about this yet, but... You actually have a range of spells that you can choose from, uh, but you have to choose them before you go into Waven. Again, this is uh, a conscious reason that we, we decided to do this this way, because we wanted player to strategize what are they going to upgrade and what are they going to choose for each wave. Uh, and so once they're in the wave, the wave they committed to what they have uh, chosen, and they have to make the best of it. 
Yeah, I mean, one of the earliest spells you get is uh, a freeze spell. It doesn't really freeze them, it slows them down. And I love using that one. Because it's like, I've got to take a breather here, but I can't because they're, all, they're coming at me. I know what I'll do. <laughs> I'll just, you know, that quarter of the screen, I'm going to slow down. And I'm just like, I'll deal with you in a minute. This is coming. I need to get this. Now, granted, this is all split second, everyone. This is not very, this is a very, very fast game. Tower Go Among the Shadows is a very, very fast game in a good way. So what I'm just saying is, oh, yeah, I'll just sort of hold those for a moment and go, That's, I have to slow everything down. You know when you play Street Fighter and you have to slow everything down? Otherwise, if you don't, you'll just be, you're just basically button mashing. So you have to, you know, in your mind's eye, slow everything down to predict how everything's going to... It's just what you do with, 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 with um, the beat-em-ups is what you have to do. And also shoot-em-ups as well. You have to... Although everything on the action on the screen is very, very fast, in your mind you have to slow it down so you can actually cope with what's going on. And this, this, this free spell is a great um, way of creating that model to say, you know what, I can't deal with them at the moment. They're just going to mass on me. Let's just freeze them or slow them down a bit while I deal with the other section, which is much more threatening. And you're right. You do change your strategy depending on what abilities you have. Of course you do. But you're also right that you don't have these these um, a vast array of spells at your disposal at all times. No. You have to choose one. Just one. And then that's the only one you got. And... Uh, you then have to use that for that phase of the combat, phase of the engagement. So, yeah, fascinating stuff. Yeah, and also, I guess the spells is a way to give the ability to people, to players, to play differently. Like, for instance, you are uh, someone who enjoyed the freeze spell a lot. I myself enjoys the enjoy the vampiric spell a lot because I don't mind taking a few damages. Uh, but I'm spamming the vampires, vampiric spell all the time, getting my life back, uh, and getting hit, and getting my life back. So this also allows players to really choose the way they want to enjoy the game. Absolutely. I'm very much, when I play role-playing games, or playing a wizard at the moment on D&D, and I'm, my, my catchphrase is, not the face, not the face! <laughs> or, no touchy! No touchy! And uh, Because I'm always at the back throwing things from the distance going where what's the range 60 feet i'm gonna go right over there <laughs> out i'm just no one touch me and unfortunately or fortunately i play tower go amongst those in the same way not the face <laughs> uh, get off get off so that's what I, that's how i deal with it so cool so next question there is we can't deny this and i like the way you've done this i believe you may disagree but the model is, is there's some roguelike aspects to Tauga Among Shadows. In that, you collect crystals or spirits and what have you, and then you can then use that as the exchange to upgrade your armory, both your base spells, your health, other aspects of the character, or actual you know boost your spells. Um, how have you found? massaging because i ask this a lot with developers when they have roguelike aspects of their game uh and there's, there's no different here with with Tauga among shadows is what have you done to massage the play experience to maintain a level of challenge despite the fact that the player is is you know becoming increasingly powerful the longer they play the game yeah that's actually a very good question because this was not part of our earlier version of the game we, we did not add uh, this uh, improvement, upgrading uh, feature until pretty late in development. Uh, the reason why we did it is because through our playtest, we realized that players felt like they were not powerful enough. And so this sense of, of, of power that they were not getting from was not because they did not have a lot of enemies they could kill, it was more because the enemies that they were dealing with were sort of the same. Like you have the same types throughout the game uh, of enemies. And at the end of the game, you still have like some of the basic minions that you still have to kill with all the new ones that you discovered throughout the game. But they did not feel like they were able to deal with those smaller ones 
better than before, although they had played for you know, like a couple of hours already. And so I think this is one of the things that made us consider uh, the idea of adding you know, like those RPG elements. You can upgrade your, your character now. And so when you start, you're fairly weak, but then you, when you finish the game, you're fairly strong compared to the enemies that you had before. Uh, so one of the ways that we, there are several ways that we made sure that it still stays a difficulty throughout the game. So one of the ways is obviously to add more enemies, harder enemies. So you still have those squishy ones that you had at the beginning, at the end of the game. But now their purpose is to show you that they were difficult for you at the beginning. And now they're super squishy because you were super strong and you were like at the end game. Uh, but you have new ones you have to deal with, which have new abilities uh, and also have maybe more life and make more damage. Uh, so that was one way to manage difficulty. Uh, on top of this, you have uh, different modes that we have in this game. So you have the first story mode, which is really what is the, the, the main progression throughout discovering the, the backstory, the enemies, and the mechanics. But then you have a big second slice of the game, which is the story mode phase two, uh, or the Voyage Well. Uh, in which you are teleported or transported, let's say, in this uh, new realm where your upgrades are not so useful anymore. So because you're not in the normal realm again, so we made the game difficult again for, let's say, its uh, second half, uh, which kind of puts some of the counters at zero and allows you to have a second part of the experience with more content and more things to to go through, but still enjoying this level of difficulty, which is what a lot of players are enjoying this game. They want a difficult game. They want this challenge. They want this feeling of, oh, I didn't manage to survive this wave and to, you know, like to, to, to make it to the second wave. And if you didn't have this, if you could just go through all the contents too, too easily, you wouldn't have this this feeling that we were trying to, to give to uh, to players. That being said, we still had some of our players who were feeling that the game was too hard, too difficult uh, for them. Maybe players who are less used to this kind of uh, twin stick shooter kind of games. And so what we also implemented, which is actually fairly standard in games nowadays, is a uh, easier mode. Uh, easier mode, which gives you more life and more damage. Uh, which if you want maybe to enjoy more of the the backgrounds, because one of the things we didn't discuss yet, but which was very important for us as our studio, really comes from uh, the animation uh, industry. Uh, we have beautiful settings with beautiful backgrounds, animation and effects and everything. And so some of our, some of our players, I guess, are more uh, here to enjoy those sceneries uh, rather than a very, very challenging game. And so... I guess we managed to have the best of both worlds doing it this way. Absolutely. I was going to actually come on to a presentation of uh, Tower Go Among Shadows about now. It's our last question. It's a two-pronged question, but you're right. The animation is very unique. The styling and the colouring. Certain colours are brighter than others and the contrasts. Really impressive. It's the other thing that helps with the experience. The animation of the creatures is wonderful. Absolutely, just and there's the mirrors, the atmosphere that you've created with uh, Tauga among shadows. In that, there's a dry sense of humour going through, because there's a there's a mentor that you encounter who throws you through these portals and sends you off to go rescue the world or save the world from from these um, dark forces that you're trying to trying to stop. And I just want to ask, was that humour, was that is that there to basically act as a stress relief? Um, well, <laughs> that would have been a good reason for it, I guess. <laughs> uh, but really, I think initially the, 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 the idea was rather that uh, that's, as a as a studio, one of the things we are kind of good at, I guess, or that at least I would say we really enjoy doing is beautiful art, uh, beautiful 2D art. So this is the animation, but also the 
the, 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 the illustration that we that we make. And there is no question that whatever the game that we were gonna do, we were gonna do beautiful art. And typically it's true that this is not something that you tend to find in those 2D action games because people tend to put more resources on other things, such as the fact that you want a very twitchy uh, and, and action-oriented game. The game design is to be extremely polished. Uh, so some developers might decide to put more resources there than in the art. But since our studio has already a few years of experience, uh, already knows how to do this kind of stuff, we were able to produce this kind of, uh, of animation and art uh, without spending too much resources on this and still having the time to to, to do this action uh, game design, this twitchy uh, game design, which we commented and, dis and discussed before, uh, at the quality that we that we wanted. And so the, the team, first of all, is very happy that you also realized uh, that the animation was, uh, uh, was good. This is a comment that we, we, we received, which is very satisfying. Since this was a big thing that we wanted to 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 push through this uh, this game and through all our other games, like the previous games that we we released before, always had this motto: we want this game to be beautiful. Uh, and all the games that we've done so far were all in 2D, so this is something that we've we've been doing for for quite some time yet. And so the I think you can feel also some of the the influences we have in this uh, in this uh, this art. Uh, some people have mentioned uh, Jendi Tartarovsky, for instance, uh, which is the guy who, among other things, uh, created uh, uh, Samurai Jack, uh, which influences some of some of this work, I guess. But uh, it must also be said that Tuwaga is a game that we've been working on for a very long time. We've actually been working on this game since at least 2000. 15 i guess uh, and although not full time and we already released the first version of it a few years ago uh we've had time to improve and to work a lot on it to to reach what you can see today the level you can see today through the the monsters the backgrounds but also through the trailers which you might or might, might not have seen we we made the trailers for the game ourselves fully in 3d animated by hand uh, because this is something very costly for an indie studio such as ours, but this is something that really shows the DNA of our studio. This is what we enjoy doing, so we we had to do it for this game. We had to do it, even though this was something that uh, that uh, was very time-consuming for us, because we wanted players to understand what we wanted to to push through this game. Yeah, and and the the, the characters have some very interesting. Exchanges like the mentor says, you know, you're doing all right, I guess. <laughs> all right. I mean, you might want to try harder. How about that? And uh, talks about some of the other characters. And like, yeah, he used to be a person that I knew, but yeah, he's, he's a bit of a jerk now, isn't he? Don't know how that happened. It's just so lovely to see that. Like, it's just, yeah, it's good. And mixing that with, as you said, and very eloquently described the. Uh, the building of the uh, the animations and there's just lots and lots of frames, my friends. Every, it's, oh, it's just good stuff. Right, last question. We've done last question, but one question we always ask is our, <laughs> our our guest. It's not about the game; it's about the company, uh, Sunnyside Games. Where's the name come from? Uh, Sunnyside Games. So the inspiration of the game is from the Toy Stories. Uh, I was not here when the the, 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 the company was created. So I was not in this discussions, but what I've been told uh, when, when I joined is, right. is that it comes from, uh, from the name of one of the characters in the in the Toy Story series because Toy Story is one of the big reference in uh, in animation yeah. in the yeah. industry. And since the the founders of the company came from the animation industry, they, this those those movies were very very dear to their hearts, and they wanted to name their studio. Uh, based of based on something from those uh, from those movies. Yeah, of course. Toy Story. You fell with style. <laughs> I just love that. This is so some of those some of those exchanges between those characters are just timeless. Just wonderful. Mm -hmm. Right, as I say, uh, Tauriga Among Shadows, made by Sunnyside Games, published by Noodle Cake. It's out now on Apple Arcade, and that's the platform I played it on. By the way. 
Uh, I played it with my Apple TV and my Nimbus controller. It's great. It's like my Apple TV is now a video game console. It's amazing. Anyway, uh, it's also an iOS, um, Windows PC, and uh, I believe it's coming to Nintendo Switch, or it is out on Nintendo yeah, Switch. Yeah, yeah, it just came out on Nintendo Switch a few weeks ago, so it's also, it's also there. Fantastic. It was a great platform for it, by the way. But like I said, I, I had it on Apple Arcade, which I'm a subscriber to, so let's go on there. It's fantastic. Works a treat with when I've got an Apple TV and a controller, because I've had that for ages. So... Ryan, it's been wonderful having you on the show. It's been wonderful to be here. Thank you very much. And uh, do wish you the very best of luck in your future endeavours, whatever they may be. And you're more than welcome to come back to talk about them because we do have return guests because we've been going for a very long time and we will be here. Yes, we will be here. Awesome. (laughs) So in the meantime, thank you so much. Thank you. Looking forward to... Uh, having a chat with you again. It was awesome. You have been listening to the Sausage Factory podcast, part of the Cane and Rinse Collective. Support us for just two US dollars per month at patreon.com forward slash Cane and Rinse for early, extended, and exclusive podcasts. Find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Twitch, YouTube, and at our website, caneandrinse.com.